0: take your bibles turn with me to the book of luke chapter 24 luke chapter 24 there uh, it has been said there are two kinds of people in life there are those people that like surprises and those people that don't so let me ask you are you somebody that likes to be surprised how many of you are people that like to be surprised how many of you are people that say i don't want that all right Here's what I want you to think about for just a minute, because we're going to talk about a surprise in a moment out of Scripture, but I want to ask you, what's the best surprise you've ever had? All right? What's the best surprise that's ever happened in your life? Something unexpected, something you weren't expecting? What's the best surprise you've ever had? Turn around and tell somebody around you the best thing that's ever happened, biggest surprise you've ever had. All right, somebody tell me what your uh, favorite surprise, all right? All right, Mr. Bale. What's that? And You kept spinning so a ride that you went on? Okay. Tori, you're excited over here. What, what do you got, Tori? Christmas one year, right? What was it that you got? A lot of video games. All right. And a Wii. You had a good Christmas. I need to uh, go to the York house, apparently. All right. Anybody else over here? Glenn. a ticket to the masters and you didn't think of your pastor or I wasn't your pastor then what was okay good just making sure I can tell you what the one of the best surprises my life would be would be a church member calling me and saying that he had a ticket for me to the masters that would be that would be a great one all right so, so, sometimes we have small surprises sometimes we have big ones I remember coming home from uh school one day and uh we were uh it was a football game afternoon. I was a senior in high school, and we were playing that night at home. And I went home. was going to take a quick nap before the game. And woke up from the nap and walked downstairs. And where my car had been, there was a new car sitting there. And uh, when I say new, uh, different is a better interpretation, all right? Well, when I was in high school, the first car I had was a Regal, limited edition, two-tone car. It, it was brown on brown, all right? It was one of those cars that you could take the steering wheel and you could move it that much and it wouldn't turn, it would just bounce on the front. It was not, when you were a junior in high school, the coolest car to have and went to take a nap, woke up, my dad had been negotiating with somebody without me knowing it and walked downstairs and had traded my car straight up for a Mazda RX-7 little white sports car. Now, the problem is that Mazda wouldn't start about every third day, but it still looked really good, all right? And that was a, a big surprise. You know, big surprises can be good, little surprises can be good. You know, one of the things about surprises is um, the more they build up, the more or less disappointed you become. So, so you think about one of the reasons Christmas is such a big deal for kids is because there's this anticipation For weeks. For countdown to Christmas. Somebody told me the other day they had on their phone already how many days it is until Christmas happens. And kids have how many weeks or how many nights sleep do I have till Christmas. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And then the morning happens and their dreams come true. (laughs) Tori's ready for Christmas right now, right? why it's a big deal, you know. Um, it can be little things, that, you know, that you, you build up to. Now, if the payoff is not what you expected, it can be very disappointing, right? You build up these expectations or these thoughts, and you get there, it is just not quite what you thought. Uh, last night, we had told the kids that we were, if they, um, if they were good and ate a good supper, we had a special surprise for them at the end of the meal well they ate pretty well we had we had a big meal and at the end of the meal we built it up and we had to get we said well let's go you go get uh you go get showers and get your pajamas on and then we'll have our special meal well then the playroom needed to be picked up so we kept i know none of you parents ever do so we kept putting it off to get them to do the things we wanted them to do all right and so we get to the end and it wasn't a big deal we'd been uh at the grocery store, and they had, uh, maybe they've had these a long time, but we just saw them for the first time. These uh, microwavable chocolate that melts in your microwave, and then you just can dip stuff in it, all right? So, we had bought some graham crackers, and that, and some big marshmallows, and we were going to have a night of making our own s'mores. Well, here's the thing. We knew that one of our boys loves s'mores, and the other one, and so we kept building it up, building up. We got there. And guess what? We're gonna make our own s'mores tonight. And I went, Yes! And the other one went, I think I'll go play in the other room. Now, he ended up trying them and he liked it. He didn't like them because he hadn't tried them. But the point is that as we build up things, the payoff is what matters. Well, in Luke chapter 24, we're going to finish our series called Feasting with Jesus with what I like to think of in this whole series of messages as kind of the dessert. The last little bite that you're left with. That last little morsel. It's a surprise dinner that happens. It's not something that's expected, but it's something that kind of puts a closure to the entire book and reminds us of some things that have been taught throughout. Now, it's also a place where some guys get the surprise of their life, and the payoff is absolutely worth it. In Luke chapter 24, we have, starting in verse 13, this passage that says, Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, if you remember in this Feasting with Jesus series, we've been talking about Jesus' method and that one of the things he did as he came and as he proclaimed the kingdom of God is he did it over meals. And we, we've read that verse out of the first part of Luke that says that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you called him a, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what I love about chapter 24, we're going to find out today, is that these guys are on their way in a different place. They get to their destination. They have a meal with Jesus, and it changes their lives. Now, it says that they were on their way to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 14. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Verse 16. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Yeah. He asked them, what is the dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped, discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happen there in these days? And Jesus says, what things? So they said to him, "The things according, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priest and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. As we kind of focus in on the end of this series and the end of the Gospel of Luke, I just want to make a quick observation before we move to, to some other points. And the quick observation I want to make is this. When we analyze the world in which we live, most people, like these disciples, live their lives in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Now, here's what I mean by that. These disciples obviously thought that Jesus was the one that he was absolutely the Messiah, that he was going to restore Israel, that he was going to be their leader, that he was going to be the one that was going to take them to places they had never been. And suddenly, on a Friday, their hopes are smashed. Can't you just hear the disappointment in their voice? Can't you just see how their build up and their desire to see Jesus be this one that was going to be unbelievable? How the surprise ending they got with Jesus on a cross was not what they wanted? It says, first of all, they basically called Jesus a fool. They say to him, are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on? I mean, are you the only one? I mean, really? You haven't heard about this Jesus guy? I mean, everybody's talking about it. Surely you've. Tell me, you've heard. And Jesus, what things are you talking about? You know, Jesus. I mean, he was. Notice the past tense they use. He was a powerful prophet and teacher. He did amazing things, and we were convinced that he was it. But our chief priest had him killed. The disappointment is dripping from their words, the disappointment is evident in what they say. He's been crucified. He's dead. We were hoping that He was the one who was about to redeem Israel. We thought that He was it. Now they go on to say, Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find His body, they came and reported they'd seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they didn't see yeah. you get the idea that, that these disciples were skeptics. Now, here's the reason we think they're skeptics. It's because they didn't stick around to find out if it was true. Right? In the other Gospels, and in this Gospel, we'll find that when... Jesus appears to them, and when Jesus appears to the disciples, most of the disciples are gathered around trying to figure out if things are true. They're trying to work through it. They're thinking through it in their mind. These guys heard the report Jesus was alive. They said, that is a bunch of fooey. We are leaving. We are not putting up with this. We're getting away from here. And they start to walk away. Now, the truth is, what I love about the story here is that Jesus lets them tell their story we know the ending of the gospel too well we we know that what happens at the end of Emmaus we know that Jesus reveals himself we know that they figure out that he is the risen Lord we know that and so we skip this moment where Jesus allows them to describe their pain. You see, for us as believers, sometimes it's easy for us to jump to the conclusion or to jump to the next step and to not allow people to say, we are in pain here, we have trouble here, we are hurting. One of the things that I believe in this 21st century that as believers in Jesus Christ we are going to have to do is we're going to have to learn how to be better, compassionate Listeners. Without immediately thinking how we can argue away a point or immediately thinking how we can engage them intellectually, but listening to people tell their story, empathizing with them in the reality of the difficulty in which they live, understanding that people's lives are wrecked and ruined and a mess. Jesus just sits and listens patiently for a minute. Them. Now, He's going to correct them, but He doesn't immediately jump, even when we get there. He doesn't jump to the end of the story. He builds the story from where they are. They said, we thought He was the one. The ending didn't turn out like we wanted. And we don't know what to do with our lives. Now, here's the truth. Just because you become a believer in Jesus doesn't mean you become immune to unmet expectations. And that those of us in this room that are followers of Jesus, we have our moments when we say, that is not what I expected. That is not what I wanted. That is not what I believed would happen. Part of the reason is because it's not just people's lives, but it's creation itself that is in the midst of being in the middle of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Scripture teaches that Christ has come. Christ died and rose again, but that he is coming again, and that creation is groaning and wanting to get there. And as human beings, we have devised all kinds of political and economic and philosophical ways to deal with the in-between time when the only hope we have is Jesus, but we continually find ourselves disappointed in the answers that we come up with. Now, even in your own life, sometimes news hits or things happen and you just are floored with the disappointment that comes. I watched um, Friday night... um, when I uh, when we got done with the women's event and I went home, I had taped uh, 2020 because uh, I don't know uh, some of you may watch 2020, but I don't normally watch 2020. But I heard that Pat Summit was going to be on there interviewed, and so most of you know Pat Summit, the coach of Tennessee volunteer lady volunteer basketball team, started coaching that team when she was 22 years old. Uh, some of her players were as old as she was and has been coaching there ever since. Pat Summit was diagnosed. Um, a few months ago with early onset dementia. And and Pat Summit, one of the things that, that was kind of woven throughout was her description of how she handled the news and what was happening in her life. And she said, I naturally had a moment like everyone else when I said, Lord, why me? Why now? Why do I have to be the one to get dementia? One of the great things about the interview is that she went on to discuss some things. Her son, Tyler, even talked about how that they prayed that the Lord could use her in a way to impact people outside the basketball world with what she's going through. And so it was an interesting discussion. But she talked about that moment when we all have. When in the midst of realizing we have not gotten completed what Christ started, we say, why now? Why me? Why here? Lord, I had thought that this was going to happen. Verse 25 says, this is how Jesus begins to move them towards hope. He said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Did the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Verse 27 says, basically, as they're walking. Now, it would have been a seven-mile journey or so from Jerusalem to where they were going. We don't know at what point Jesus kind of jumps into the conversation. But it would have been an extended walk. I mean, you can imagine walking seven miles. It takes a little while to do that. And so, it would have been an extended conversation. And what I love is Jesus starts to lead them on this path of discovery. It says earlier in this passage, as we read, that He had clouded their vision or that they were prevented from seeing. And he's got them almost like they've got cataracts on their eyes or they've got uh, vision issues. They can't fully grasp what's happening here. And it says in there that he begins to reveal who he is through the scriptures. Now, here's what I want us to understand from this passage. We're going to see a couple of ways that Jesus is revealed. And the first way is that Jesus is revealed through his word. What I love is it says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so he begins with the word of God and he says, listen, didn't the word of God say this? Now, what I think is interesting is he could have easily just said to them, this is who I am. It's me. Quit being people of unbelief. I'm here. I'm alive. But he didn't want that to happen. Daryl Bach, who is a scholar down at Dallas Theological Seminary, says that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have this period of discovery where the author is wanting the people to discover who Jesus is for themselves. And so from beginning in the first part of the book, they have these little clues that are built from uh, the time the story begins till the end about who Jesus is. And that we are to follow along with them as they discover it. What happens here is that he begins and says, this is what happens in the Scriptures. This is what Moses said. This is what Jeremiah said. This is what Isaiah said. This is what Daniel said. And it says that he tells them what he says in all of the Scriptures. The idea is that gradually they're going to grasp who he is. We have a major problem in America today with biblical illiteracy. With people, believers, unbelievers, not understanding or knowing what the Word of God says. Do you know that in studies that they've conducted, a recent one by Lifeway, the number one factor in finding out how faithful people are to the Lord and to their church and to their giving and to their serving, the number one factor that was determinant of that was that the people who were constantly reading and engaging in God's word were the people who were flourishing in their spiritual life. There is no other substitute for growing in your relationship with the Lord than reading his word. None. Now, I'm not saying you got to read 40 chapters a day. But there needs to be a regular active part of getting God's Word into your life, into your kid's life, into your grandkid's life. It'd be an active part of getting them to read God's Word, to understand God's Word, to live God's Word, to know what is there. I did this with a class that I'm teaching on Sunday night. I gave out a common Bible literacy exam. It's an exam that comes from a a professor at Union, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be at Union this past Friday. I was invited to speak at their homecoming chapel and had a great time being back on campus and was reminded of the quality of students at Union. Union uh, was just ranked as the fourth best academic school in the state of Tennessee, uh, only behind Vanderbilt, Sewanee, and Rhodes. Um, It it is a top-notch academic school. And it's also a top-notch academic school that comes that people come there to learn more about Jesus. And so you get the best of the best in Christian in Christian uh, students. And, and Dr. George Guthrie, who does their interpretation to uh, understanding the Old Testament and New Testament, gives out this Bible literacy exam every year. And he said the average score two years ago, from top-notch, very intelligent students who come from churches in Tennessee and around the country, the average score on a basic Bible literacy exam was a failing grade. Now, I didn't ask for the grades of the, when I did the class on Sunday night. But we're not talking about big, hard questions. We're talking about basics. Which one of these books is not found in the New Testament? Where would you go to read the Sermon on the Mount? Put these Bible events in order. And the average score was somewhere between 55 and 60 percent. Now, I'd like to think, well, that's just an aberration, but the truth is, as believers, we have failed in following His word. Verse 28. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. In their culture, they had this tradition where they would maybe say to him, hey, won't you stop in and have dinner? And he said, no, I've got other things to do. No, really, we want you to stop. And the second invitation meant that it was a real invitation, not just a cursory invitation. I mean, uh, we have that in the South sometimes. You you say something like... uh, well, you ought to stop by and grab something to eat with us sometime. And somebody goes, okay, what about tonight? Well, maybe not tonight. I mean, sometime, all right? Well, here they say, come on, we want him to go. So so he went in and he went to stay with them. Verse 30, see if this sounds familiar. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, And he gave it to them. The first time we saw this in this series was not at the Lord's Supper, right? I mean, that's what it reminds you of, right? He took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it unto them. Anybody remember the first place we saw this? The feeding of the 5,000. And the feeding of the 5,000 was that moment as he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it unto them, and it multiplied and multiplied that they were to say, this is the Messiah, the King, the one that has been promised. When we get to the Last Supper, it is to remind them that even though what is about to happen, He is the King, the Messiah, this is part of His plan. And then we get to verse 30, and in verse 30 we have it repeated again, and what it does is it reminds them He is the One. I mean, the point of the Scripture and relaying all of that was to remind them that it's not a big deal that someone died and came back from the grave. I mean, Lazarus did that. The big deal is that it was the one who died and rose again. The one who took away the sins of the world. The one who became sin for us. The one that defeated death. The one that went and got the keys of Hades and hell and secured it. The one who came alive again to purchase for us our salvation because of what he had done on the cross. It is important to understand that it is the one who broke the bread with the disciples that is breaking the bread with them now. And in that moment it says... They had LASIK surgery performed. Cataracts were removed. And their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and then I love this. But he disappeared from their sight. I like to imagine that they were mid-sentence when he was no longer there. Well, where did he go? They said to each other, and here's the last point we're going to make today last point is this, that experiencing Jesus, understanding who He is, is a call to action. It is a call to action. Verse 32 says, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while He was talking to us on the road and explaining the Scriptures? That very hour. Now remember, they were leaving Jerusalem. They were pilgrimaging away from Jerusalem. And listen, it is late in the day. You did not walk at night. You did not get out after darkness had fallen, and yet it is late in the day. They stopped to have the last meal of the day, and when it is over that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They can't wait. Their plans have been changed. Their lives have been altered. The truth has changed who they are. And so they understood who Christ is. They had a call to action to go do something about it. I love the fact that they went against their social expectations. They went against better sense of judgment. They went against what security and safety would tell them. Most of them would say, oh, let's just wait till we get up in the morning. When we get up in the morning, we've got to go let somebody know this. But That's not what it says. It says that that very hour, they got up and went back. And they get there that 11 are there, and verse 34 tells us that that call to action involves proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. The Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. They began to describe what had happened on the road, how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Here's the reality Saying that this was a feast with Jesus or a meal with Jesus is actually a little misleading. Because they never got to the actual spiritual, I mean the the physical food part, right? I mean what happens? He breaks the bread and what happens? He disappears, they don't eat with him and then they leave. But the point that we see here is that what has been happening throughout the book of Luke is that he has been building a case through other events but including these meals of who Jesus is. And how we respond to that. From the very first meal where he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And he says, what I came to do was to be a hospital for the sick. Not to treat the well. And saying that his mission and his goal is to take the gospel to all people of all places. I mean, that's mentioned again when he talks about the banquet feast. And he talks about going and getting whoever will come and bringing them in. To the point where the meals reveal who he is. Either in the feeding of the 5,000 and he breaks the bread and he blesses it and he gives it unto them. And it multiplies and they say no man could do that. He must be the Messiah. He must be from God. To the point where we celebrated last week where he's around the table with his closest friends. And he says this bread is the bread of my body. It is broken for you. This cup is the blood that I'm spilling for you. And the idea that I am a Messiah, but it's going to be a surprise ending and it's not going to be like you expected. It will be different because I will be crucified and I will raise again to this passage where He is there with the guys reminding them again of who He is. And they remind us what the reaction ought to be. Here's the truth that Luke conveys through all these meals. Is that the most important Thing in your life its how you respond to who jesus is let me just ask you a very simple question that has a couple of parts first of all have you ever given your heart and your life to jesus christ have you ever declared your devotion to and your allegiance to Him, and that you're going to follow Him till the day that you die. If not, my prayer is that today would be the day when you would have your eyes open to the truth of who He is and what He wants to do in your life, and that you would give your heart and your life to Him. Secondly, let me ask you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Are you somebody that has been investing your life in His Word? Been investing your life in doing what He's called you to do? Is the most important thing in your life being obedient to Jesus Christ? Or is that just a little additional thing on the side? Is following Jesus Christ radically changing who you are and how you behave? Or is it just something else that's part of the process? This morning, perhaps, as a believer in Jesus, you need to come and pray here at this altar and just pray that the Lord would give you a desire for His Word. Pray that the Lord would give you a desire to follow Him no matter what. Maybe there are things in your lives you need to kind of begin to jettison, to throw overboard, to get rid of in order to follow Him more effectively.